It is good to see each of you here this morning and to be with you. Um, As we begin uh, in worship, I have a few announcements and a number of prayer requests, so bear with me there. Um, If you'd be praying uh, tomorrow, planning to uh, be speaking at Granite Falls, um, just briefly, I'd pray that God would bless in that and that the ministry of uh, Pastor Riley would be blessed in that. Um, on Sunday, two Sundays from now, we'll plan to have the Lord's Supper. Uh, we'll do a, a few things uh, differently uh, that evening so that we're uh, being aware of and uh, cautious regarding the uh, coronavirus. Uh, but we are planning to re resume the Lord's Supper on that evening. Um, and then you'll notice that um, the nursing home service is mentioned October 11th. Um, that's only if they actually open up the nursing homes. Uh, so I'd, I'm, I'm not anticipating that it will happen before then, but it could. So I, we'll pray to that end. And if God would be kind in that way, we would rejoice. Uh, as well, in terms of announcements, um, men after tonight will resume our our study of the book of Joel in, in chapter 3. But then after tonight, we'll review the day's services if you'd like to be involved in helping with that, you may. Our uh, prayer requests are all new, I think. I think I uh, just got rid of all the ones we had and uh, put in new ones, which doesn't mean to not be praying for the ones that were there last week. It's just that we had so many updates. And so in terms of praises, uh, we uh, asked prayer for John Muir, uh, Ernie's brother's uh, son-in-law, who had open heart surgery and valves replaced, and that went well. He's in the hospital still, so continue to pray for him. And then a while ago, we had mentioned that uh, Kelly, Marianne's granddaughter, had found out that she was pregnant um, and was rejoicing in that. She has uh, safely given birth to Kylie May, so we're rejoicing in God's kindness there. A number of things to continue to pray for that God would bring answers to prayer. Um, uh, Larry is one of Marianne's relatives, and we've prayed for him in the past because of cancer. And now he has a second form of cancer. The doctors can only see one more possibility of treating him and helping him, and it it is a long shot. So he's not doing well. Um, pray pray for Larry. Jean. Uh, her leg was bruised, apparently not broken, and she's not able to get around well. So pray that she would be uh, helped by the Lord even in healing and relief uh, from pain. And then uh, Paul had uh, mentioned, I think to others, or it, it didn't get mentioned to me the first week I was back from vacation, uh, that Jana uh, passed away. We had been praying for Jana, uh, Paul's cousin's daughter, um, And even at her young age with the cancer, she did uh, pass away. Um, I've been rejoicing, and I mentioned in the Sunday school hour, rejoicing because of the strength of her testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, She was clearly telling others of her trust in him. And so pray that Jana's family would be encouraged, uh, even in the loss of their daughter. And then um, Mitch, Samantha's father, having cataract surgery, hopefully that will help his eye. His eye hasn't been improving in eyesight, but um, 
with the recognition that it might be the cataract, that could be a great help. And so pray that that will be, uh, that will be the case. And then, um, Kevin's parents praying for the various storm damage to things related to them in Iowa and uh, Pastor and Mrs. Burgraff back in Pennsylvania. I mentioned uh, a few weeks ago that Pastor Burgraff uh, had contracted COVID-19 um, and then his wife did as well. Uh, she needed to be hospitalized, but they are both over the worst of it and they're soon planning to reopen uh, and resume services uh, there in Lebanon, Pennsylvania. So pray pray that God would be kind and continuing to uh, strengthen and, and safeguard. Many prayer requests, numerous, numerous announcements. Uh, let us look to our God in his word. Romans 12 and the first two verses are scripture memory. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Uh, we live, we breathe, we have our being because of the mercies of God, because of the grace of God. Might we rejoice in him and live as those uh, changed by him. Uh, as we rejoice in his kindness and in, in our lives. So therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Might we even now pray that the Lord's will be done? Uh, can we begin together? As we worship, begin in prayer, let us look to our God. Our Father, we look to you, for you are the one who has all power and authority and dominion, so that your will can and shall be done. We pray that you might help us in praying according to your will, that we might continue to rejoice in seeing the fullness of your mercy and grace, your power and dominion, even worked out in our lives and the lives of our friends, our nation, our world. Lord, we pray that you would bless many who we have made mention of in need of physical strength and help, comfort and peace, renewed encouragement from your hand in body and spirit. Lord, might you give even that encouragement according to your will and by the kind working of Christ administered to us by the Holy Spirit. Might you do that in the hearts and lives of even those suffering here recently. I pray, Lord, that you would bless as we 
rejoice in your will done, and as we pray for your will to be done, that in many circumstances in the days ahead, uh, should our Lord tarry in many circumstances, may we be able to give you praise for answered prayer. We thank you for answering prayer in Kelly's life, the birth of Kelly, Kylie May, and in uh, John's Muir's life, uh, the successful open heart surgery. You are kind beyond what we deserve. We pray that you might keep us trusting and rejoicing in you. I pray, Lord, for our hearts and our minds that they might be soft to the working of your Holy Spirit this morning. Uh, Use us as you transform us more and more into the image of your Son, more and more conformed to your likeness and not conforming ourselves to the world's patterns. I pray, Lord, that you would bless as we rejoice to lift up those who are serving uh, you around this state, around this country, and around this globe. We think of our missionaries and pray that even in the labors that they are doing this day, that you would bless and strengthen, that you would encourage uh, even in being able to see fruit for their labors, that you might refresh them in the hardships and turmoils that you bring, might they be encouraged uh, looking to you, knowing that you are with them. I pray, Lord, that you would work in our midst, that your glory would be utmost on our lips as we sing, as we pray, as we listen to the reading of your word and the preaching of your word as we give and as we fellowship. Might you be first in our thoughts. We pray this because of Christ, the firstborn from the dead, the one in whom we hope and trust. We pray in his name. Amen. Our Opening psalm is Psalm 11. If you take your bulletins, you can follow along in reading responsibly Psalm 11. Psalm 11, 1 through 7. For the choir director, a psalm of David. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, Flee as a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They make ready their arrow on the string to shoot in darkness at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked. 
and the one who loves violence his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain snares. Fire and brimstone and burning wind will be the portion of their crop. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. The upright will behold his face. Amen. Our hymns today revolve around the Ten Commandments, but not around necessarily individual ones of those Ten Commandments, but especially focusing on the fact that the Lord is the one who commands, and we delight to hear and to obey. We're beginning in the Blue Hymnal 525, Trust and Obey. Five hundred twenty five trust and obey. We'll sing the refrain after the odd verses. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way while we do.
Scripture reading this morning, we're going to Exodus and chapter 20, reading of the Ten Commandments, Exodus and the 20th chapter. We're reading Exodus chapter 20, verses 3 through 17. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we recognize as we read what you require of us, that we are incapable of meeting your approval. We are incapable of doing the things that you expect of us, things that are right, things that are good. Help us to recognize our inability to fulfill your law. Help us to recognize our sinfulness, our need of a Savior. We thank you that you sent your Son who fulfilled the law for us and then went to the cross and bore the penalty for our disobedience, our transgression of your law. We pray that we might put our trust in him and not in any of our own feeble, inadequate efforts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You should have received two handouts with your bulletin. If you take out the one that says, If thou but suffer God to guide thee. Let us sing together. If thou but suffer God to guide thee.
at this time to come forward for this morning's offering. If you'd like to follow along, uh, Psalm 119F in the blue hymnal, Psalm 119F, you can follow along. Uh, If you don't look at the hymnal, you'll you'll be thinking of words other than than about the the Ten Commandments. Psalm 119F in the blue. Let us bow as we prepare to take up this morning's offering. Lord, in joy we recognize that your path is best. In the best of our affections, we rejoice to sing and pray and do everything according to your leisure. Lord, when we fail to be thinking and feeling according to your intentions and your desires, don't hesitate to convict us, 
to change and mold us so that we would be more faithful in obedience to you. I pray that you would bless as we look to do your will in all things, in this offering, in reflecting on your word and music. Might your will be done and your glory be utmost. We pray this because of our Savior. Amen. Take the other hand out now. Holy God, we praise thy name. Lord of all, we bow before thee. Holy God, we praise thy name.
As we go in the Word this morning, I invite you to go to the second chapter of Haggai. We're returning to the book of Haggai for a few more times as we conclude looking in this book. Haggai is the second shortest of the Old Testament books, and it's nestled right between the two Z books of the Old Testament, if you uh, are helped in looking for it that way. So between Zephaniah and Zechariah, you'll find the book of Haggai. We have previously looked to uh, the first chapter and its themes in some depth. We've begun already the themes in chapter 2. I'd like to pick up another theme. Uh, It's nestled in those first nine verses of Haggai chapter 2. And so I'll read for us as we begin Haggai chapter 2 and beginning in the first verse down through verse number 9. On the 21st of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? Does it not seem to you like nothing in comparison? But now take courage, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Take courage also, Joshua, son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest, and all you people of the land. Take courage, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. As for the promise which I made you when I came out of Egypt, my spirit is is abiding in your midst. Do not fear, for thus says the Lord of hosts, once more in a little while I am going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea also and the dry land. I will shake all nations. And they will come with the wealth of all nations, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts, the Lord high above all nations, high above all armies, high above all of creation, the Lord of hosts speaks. May we listen. Might we bow to that very end? Let us pray. Lord, you are worthy of our obedience and our submission, our obeisance, our adoration, and our praise. You are the Lord of hosts. 
High above the heavens you reign. We pray that you might reign in our midst. That we might be submissive to your word. Your slightest inclination. Your every desire. Shape us, Lord, by listening and heeding your word. Again, I pray, might we not be as those who hear and hear only, but might we be those who hear and obey. Might we be those who hear and change. Thank you for this portion of your word, and might you encourage us by it, we pray in our blessed Savior's name. Amen. Have you had the experience in your life of having done something maybe explicitly sinful, maybe just not assuredly exactly what the Lord would want you to do, and thereafter it felt as though it seemed like the Lord's heavy hand of displeasure was on you? I I wonder if that is how the people of Judah felt. They had returned to the land and they had begun to work on the temple some 16 years earlier, but then they had abandoned it at its foundations while they continued to focus on their own pleasures and concerns, their own comforts and needs. And so I wonder when the Lord asked in verse 3, who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? I wonder if the people of Judah thought in terms of the Lord seeking to discourage them? Because that is a discouraging question. Who who is among you who saw the temple in its former glory? 66 years earlier, so we have the date on the 21st of the seventh month, which uh, amounts to, comes out to October 17th of 520 BC. And... uh, 586, I think I misquoted the, the date last, last week. But anyway, 586, 587 is the destruction of the temple by the Babylonians as they invade the southern kingdom. Uh, and so 66 years earlier, the temple has been decimated. And now uh, Haggai is asking, who has seen this in its former glory? And, and he presses further because he doesn't just stop there and, and say, uh, look in your mind's eye, as it were, to, to the glory of Solomon's temple as compared to this, this temple and his glory. The, the Lord had told him in chapter one to go and get wood and to start rebuilding. 
But they didn't have the craftsmen and the skilled laborers that Solomon had at his disposal. They, they didn't have the abundance of wealth that Solomon had at his disposal. And so you can imagine if there are 70 year olds, if there are older people there who actually had seen Solomon's temple and now they see the work that's being done on the temple and comparing it, you would guess that they would be discouraged. And it seems like the questions that that Haggai drives on them would lead to discouragement. Not only um, who is left among you who saw this temple in his former glory, how do you see it now? So think of what it was. What does it, what does it look like now? And then this, uh, this idiom that, that's in the Hebrew, this last uh, phrase in verse three, does it not seem to you like nothing in comparison? Does it not seem to you like nothing in comparison? You compare this temple with the former temple, and this temple seems like nothing. Uh, the, the language of the idiom, the language of the, the Hebrew that's used, is a clearly language which says, look at this, it's nothing. Think on this, it's nothing. That's the point. In other words, uh, quoting one of the commentators, the disappointment the people felt could only be formulated in terms of nothingness. Haggai pointedly asked, it, that is the, the temple you're looking at, it and nothing, are they not identical in your sight? And so you could, you could look to this uh, you could look to this text. You could look to the historical account in Ezra 3 when some of the older uh, uh, among those who were working in the restoration of the temple saw the temple that was being worked on and they wept while others rejoiced with joy and cried with joy. The older ones wept. The sound of the weeping could not be distinguished from the shouts of joy because the people made so much noise. Sometimes as we go through life, our past circumstances haunt us, don't they? We think on something we've done We think on something we haven't done that we should have done. And and discouragement seems to be the only option when thinking on that portion of our life. Maybe you've done great sin. You've done something like continuing faithful in church attendance while you really were not sure of your relationship with the Lord, and so for weeks and months on end, you weren't reading your Bible. And and when you think back on that 
occurrence of life, then you think, how much blessing I missed. How much more study I could have known if I had given myself to faithfulness to scripture reading in those days. But I would argue that while it may seem as though the Lord is seeking to discourage them, if he is, he's not seeking to discourage them permanently. And that as they think on what God is doing here, what God is doing in their midst, through their labors, through the work that he's calling them to, take courage, be strong, be strong, work. That's command of verse 4. As they think on that, they might think with hope because God is at work. Because God is at work. Is God seeking to discourage them? And I would answer both no and yes. No and yes. But first we ought to note that one of uh, God's answers to this question as he uh, asks them to think back on the old and consider the new in comparison. One of his answers to the question we've already dealt with and so I'm not going to take time to emphasize it today. But very surely it's emphasized in the text so I want to mention it. But now, here's here's the answer. As you're thinking about the old temple, the glorious temple of Solomon, and the temple you have now, and how, in comparison, it's nothing. But now, take courage, Zerubbabel. Take courage, Joshua. All you people of the land, take courage, declares the Lord and work, for I am with you. And we we had looked at this theme. In the New Testament, in the Old Testament, God comes alongside of his people and as they will remain faithful to him, he will remain all the more faithful to them. As they remain unfaithful to him, he remains faithful to them. I am with you. Or or the language of verse 6, verse 5, sorry. As for the promise which I made, my spirit is abiding in your midst. Do not fear. Here is, here is some hope that God gives. No matter how bleak, how discouraging the circumstances look around us, if God be with us, to alter the language, if God be with us, who or what can stand against us? And so you have this encouragement of the Lord in that fashion. But as you think on the discouragement of this question, I would answer that as he, as God and, and Haggai uh, doing the prophecy of, that the God, God wants him to do, as Haggai writes this for us, uh, is God seeking to discourage them? I would answer, no, don't look on externals. Don't look on externals. One of the things that God does in bringing out this comparison is to help the people of Israel in Haggai's day, in Zerubbabel's day, in Nehemiah and Ezra and and Jehozadak's day, um, 
He's helping them to think, not to focus on the externals, not to focus on what can be seen, but to be focusing on the spiritual. That, I think, is something that's wrapped up in the point of I am with you, right? The the temple could be there, and it could be Ichabod. The glory is departed. That happens later. And people might look to the temple and think God's there because the temple's there. And looking only to the externals, they would be deceived. They would be deceived. You think about the quality and the uh, grandeur of the work that's being done in Haggai's day. And certainly there's reason to be discouraged. You add to that, the Babylonians carried away the Ark. The Ark of the Covenant. Where is the Ark of the Covenant now? Well, the Jews of modern day would love to know. They would give most anything to know. But but what you know is that the Ark of the Covenant isn't in Jerusalem. It isn't in the temple that they're building. And yet, in in God's kindness, not looking to the externals, I find this I find this uh, telling. He he speaks of the former temple, and he speaks of my house now, and he speaks synonymously of them, except for the time differentiation. He calls the temple of Solomon the house of the Lord. And he calls the temple that they're building now the house of the Lord. He he calls the temple Solomon constructed my house. And he calls the, the temple they're working on my house. Theologically, this is one and the same temple. Theologically, God hadn't abandoned them. The the externals weren't what mattered. Whether the gold came from the finest refineries of Solomon's day wasn't the point. Whether all the wood was supplied from Lebanon wasn't the point. And so I think as, as God asks this question, he helps them to see the externals aren't the thing that matter. That's not what he focuses on as he, he, he continues his encouragement of them. Is God seeking to discourage them? Answer, no. Don't look on externals. I think we can look on externals in our, in our circumstances, can't we? We're tempted to do that. The, the circumstances of Blaine Baptist Church compared to churches that you've ministered in previously? Or or maybe the circumstances of your ministry and your involvement in the church compared to what involvement in ministry you had previously in your youthful adulthood. All kinds of circumstances of life that comparing now with the past we might be discouraged. But God would encourage us. 
Godliness is not determined by the outward circumstances. Nor is godliness determined by our encouragement. Whether the people were doing what they ought to do wasn't grounded on whether they were encouraged by what they were doing. That's really helpful in our therapeutic, me-focused age. Obedience is not determined by our inward or outward applause. The, the people of the other nations around, had they known what the temple was like being constructed under Zerubbabel and Jehozadak? They might have laughed off what it was in comparison to the glories of Solomon's temple. Certainly, the people who remembered were not encouraged thinking on the old compared to the new. But that's not the point. The point is, we can be faithful in knowing God's blessing even when the circumstances around us don't seem blessed. Secondly, is God seeking to discourage them? I would I would say yes in this regard, in this way, in this uh, facet. God says, compare the old to the new. Obviously, the old was far better. Obviously, now it's nothing. But then he invites them to go beyond that analysis. Look to the next verses. For thus says the Lord, this is verse 6, for thus says the Lord of hosts, once more in a little while I am going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea also and the dry land. I will shake all the nations and they will come with the wealth of all nations and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts is going to fill this house house, his house, with glory. Now verse 7 has one complication because the nations are plural and the glory is singular. So how is it that these should work together? How is it that that, uh, God is thinking in terms of what glory he's talking about? Uh, Should it be glories, plural, instead of glory, singular? And some have taken the word and you can repoint it. You can redo the vowels, which weren't usually included in in the writing of the Hebrew. And you can redo it and you can come up with a plural. But I think that what God is doing is he's using this word glory to point forward. He's using it to point forward to a greater glory, not not just in the the span of decades 
or centuries. I don't think that when God says there's going to be a greater glory, verse 9, for example, the latter glory of this house will be greater than the former. I don't think he's looking forward to Herod's upgrade of the temple. Herod's temple is bigger. But I don't think that's the glory to which uh, God is intending as he uses Haggai to give this prophecy. The desire of nations will come and the glory of this house will be seen, will be greater than that of the former. Others before me have interpreted in this way. I think it is the best way to consider and understand this text. The glory to which Haggai is pointing is no earthly glory. The glory to which Isaiah or Haggai is pointing is the same glory that Isaiah points to. Uh, tur- turn with me, if you would, to Isaiah in chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. So turning back to the major prophets, Isaiah and chapter number 40. Here is the same language of glory and very evidently in a different context verse or in what seems like it may be a different context verse 5 Isaiah 40 verse 5 then the glory of the lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together for the mouth of the lord has spoken and you might think first of handel and his messiah and that's good good way to think but secondly you ought to think And Isaiah is wanting us to think of the Messiah. The glory of the Lord is going to be revealed. Or turn forward in Isaiah to chapter 60. Isaiah chapter 60. And I'll I'll read the beginning of of this uh, this chapter because it's, it's clearly speaking of messianic hope and messianic prophecy, and messianic longings and fulfillments. Isaiah 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth, and deep darkness the peoples, but the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will appear upon you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes round about and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons will come from afar and your daughters will be carried in the arms. Then you will see and be radiant and your heart will thrill and rejoice because the abundance of the sea will be turned to you. The wealth of the nations will come to you." A lot of the same kind of language even that we saw in Haggai. Verse number seven, the end of the verse. And I shall glorify my glorious house. Verse number nine, the end of that verse. The name of the Lord, uh, their silver and their gold with them for the name of the Lord your God and for the Holy One of Israel because he has glorified you. How will the temple that 
Haggai and all of the assembled people in his day are building, how will it be more glorious in the future? Answer, the most glorious one will tread in it. The most glorious one will come to it. The veil will be torn in two. And the glory of the Lord will be on display for Jew and Gentile. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Was God seeking to discourage them? Yes. In senses of them thinking about the current temple compared to the former temple. But now he's going beyond that and he's helping them to look to the future and the future glory of the temple. Don't look backward. Instead, look forward to God's promise. Don't look backward. Instead, Look forward to God's promise. The glory yet to come is glory you cannot imagine. And and I would guess that even the people of Haggai's day didn't get the full extent of that, the, the meaning. They didn't understand the full extent of what was being proclaimed because even here in verse number nine, The latter glory of the house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace. Now, think Nehemiah. Think Ezra. Think Jehozadak. Think of all the troubles that they were having rebuilding the temple, rebuilding Jerusalem. What kind of peace was it that they thought they needed? I would guess that they thought they needed political peace. They needed national peace. But God is promising so much more. God is promising the Prince of Peace to come so that we might know peace. In our lives, we have reasons for discouragement. Might we take the command, the obligation which God lays on us in verse 4, and might we take it to heart? Take courage, take courage, take courage. The the word there, it's, it's related to something being or growing firm or strong. We could say, be encouraged. But God doesn't stop there. Might we, looking to the hope, not of the circumstances around us, but the promises of God, what God is doing even now, might we do what verse 4 calls us to? Take courage, 
Be strong. Yea, truly and verily, be strong and have courage. Get to work. The fourth command. That, that fourth verse. Be working. Labor. As, as you go forward in your relationship with the Lord and your service of him, uh, know that God will bless uh, in the labors that you do for him. Be faithful in obedience. Be faithful in ministering, serving the Lord. Work. And then might we also be encouraged. Our current circumstances aren't the end of that which is promised. They are but the mere beginning of that which God has laid in store for us. Imagine all of the encouragements that we have now. Imagine all the encouragements that the people of Haggai's day had then. And there were encouragements even amidst the discouragements. Right? That's how God works in our lives most of the time. Discouragements with encouragements. In Haggai's day, they were being obedient. They were doing what God wanted. They were listening to the prophet and they were doing what the prophet had told them to do. There was progress on building the temple. God was protecting them from their enemies while they did that. God was providing their physical needs in all of it. There were, there were encouragements. If God's encouragements now are a consolation and a comfort to us, how much more ought we to think the encouragements of the future will be? We've only begun to see but a part We see in shadows and through mists what God has in store for us far greater and beyond. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. The Lord omnipotent has promised. Might we rejoice. Let's bow. Lord, thank you for this reminder not to be focused on externals, but to look to you. We pray, Lord, for our unsaved loved ones. Might you break the veil that Satan has put over their eyes. Might you help them to see not just the things physical and external, but the far superior importance and joy of things eternal and spiritual. I pray that you might help us in this faithfulness. I pray that you might prosper our joy in you. 
for we trust in you. In you alone we rest. And we do so through Christ, by whose name we pray. Amen. Let us conclude by singing together of our Lord. Let's look to our Lord in song. In the blue hymnals, turn with me to number 462. Be thou my vision. 462. We'll sing the first, third, and fourth verses, the last verse, a cappella. One, three, and then verse four, a cappella. 462, would you stand as we sing? sufficient to keep his promise. Says, you're